Hey everyone, this is your host Sergey Kotlov, and our guest today is Andrew Jones, the founder of Agility in Mind, which is based in UK, and it's an agile training and consultancy company. The topic of our talk is very interesting, and we never had it before on the podcast so far, is growth. How can we grow our training business? What are the important factors? The talk was actually eye-opening. I never considered two uh, factors uh, that we are going to talk on the podcast a lot. It's sustainability and diversity has been extremely important. Uh, but thanks to Andrew, I see it from a very different perspective right now. Please enjoy, enjoy the talk and I hope to see you at the end. Welcome to the Training Business Anatomy podcast. Here, we try to answer one not-so-simple question – how to build and scale a successful training business. I'm your host, Sergey Kotlov, and we are ready to jazz. Hello, Andrea. Thank you one more time for, uh, for joining us today. And uh, uh, today we have a very interesting talk about growth. Uh, something we haven't uh, explored yet on the podcast. And uh, I don't uh, think there is a better person to talk about is Andrew Jones. Uh, Andrew, hi. Hello, Sergey. Thank you ever so much for reaching out to us. And it's really good to be with you. Thank you. Well, the first thing what I want to talk is, uh, and why I mentioned uh, that Andrew is one of the best people to talk is that that Anginity in mind uh, created uh, a, a survey, ordered a survey as I understood, and uh, how to grow, uh, to explore for businesses what businesses uh, struggle with while growing. And uh, I'm really interested to understood more uh, and learn more uh, about, uh, about this why, why did you decide to go this way? Mm. The, um, the interesting thing about it was actually sparked by a, a UK government initiative, which was about um, helping, helping organisations to grow sort of post-COVID, although obviously we're not post-COVID yet. Um, but we were quite interested in it because um, there had been mentioned by the UK government, um, but we didn't really feel that, um, or our suspicion was that... Um, it wasn't really being acknowledged by business and we wanted to find out whether businesses really did know how to grow or were actually aware that there was that potential to to help them to grow. So that's why we wanted to get some insight. It was to um, just find out from organisations what their views were um, and to see if we could make some sense of that. And uh, and you compiled all the results afterwards in some kind of a playbook? as interesting correctly, that everyone can use? That's right. Um, we, we conducted a survey. Actually, we had an in, independent um, uh, company to, to actually conduct the survey for us so that we weren't um, in any way sort of uh, trying to um, steer people to, to particular conclusions. So we used an independent uh, company to do that. Um, there was a lot of data that, that was collected. What we did with the playbook, though, was to try to turn that into something that was going to be useful for people rather than just a whole set of metrics about the challenges and and, and ideas. Uh, we wanted to turn it into something that perhaps somebody could use and 
maybe not answer every question that they've got, but at least to be able to support them in their just in their in their thought process their, and their decision making process. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, that's interesting and very helpful, uh, I believe, for businesses. And uh, from your perspective, did you learn anything for for your company from uh, from this survey? I think what um, what we've tried to put into practice since there. There's a couple of areas that that we focused in in particular. Um, one is diversity and inclusion. And the other is sustainability. And the reason for those is that they're they're quite well-known terms and initiatives and they do have fairly high profile. So at the time, for example, with sustainability, COP26 was very much in the headlines. Um, Whereas sort of diversity and inclusion is that sort of ongoing discussion, you know, and and occasionally it comes to it comes to the headlines and. especially with things like uh, gender pay gap, for example. So what, what, what was good for us, in fact, was for us to, to think about what do those two things mean in terms of our own growth? Um, so the first thing in, in terms of diversity and inclusion, we, we've sort of challenged ourselves um, and as a whole team, as a whole company, we've come together and, and started really openly discussing what those issues are. And the reason that that's important for growth is that we recognise that the the customers that that we have, um, both for training and for our consulting services and our coaching services, they they are diverse in themselves. So so first of all, it's it's important that we understand the diversity of our, our customer base. Um, the second thing, of course, is that it is just the right thing to do, to recognise that we are different. You know, we are individuals, that we do have different outlook. And it's not always apparent what those differences are, for example. So culturally, and as part of our organisation, it's really important that we start to develop that internal dialogue, that internal conversation within the organisation, because that will help us to respond better, more creatively um, to the people that, that we work with. Um, similarly, we, with sustainability, um, what I think we, we recognised there was that um, when, when, you, when you sort of talk to or perhaps um, analyse what large sort of enterprises do when they start to talk about things like sustainability, there's a real danger that it, it becomes a, a PR exercise, that it's being almost politically correct rather than what, what's the real tangible thing that organisations can do, enterprises can do, but more importantly, what are, what are the things that individuals can do? Because if you collectively do things, you know, individuals do things, collectively you can have a much bigger bigger impact. So we're quite interested in that in terms of... Um, the, the changes of behaviours. Now, what what that that has done for us, in fact, is um, we've we've collected metrics in terms of um, the positive impact that virtual training has had on the environment, for example. So, in that context of, of training, clearly, for lots of organisations, they went into they had to inspect and adapt what how they were delivering those training services when to, when we went into lockdown, 
But we'd been doing it for many years before that. We'd been providing training services for large global software enterprises, you know, for probably seven or eight years before we went into into that. So what we were able to do was collect a lot of metrics that said, by doing it in this way, we can have a positive impact on the environment. But also what we've been able to do is to start to think about the positive impact that it has on people, on individuals, and starting to think about accessibility to training and coaching services, for example. So it challenges us too, and it also allows us to take the challenge back to to our clients. So, so those two initiatives are things that seemingly they're already part of the agenda, but in reality, what we want to do is to make them meaningful to us as a business, and therefore to to the community and and to our clients. Well, that's this is very insightful. Uh, I like I like especially the bits uh, regarding sustainability because for many small companies and mine included, it's quite challenging from time to time to understand. Okay, so how can we be more sustainable by ourselves if all our work is more or less uh, more or less virtual and uh, working from home and uh, uh, having okay okay if we have some some costs and impact on the environment regarding the things we do uh, and like uh, how our services provided but what's uh, what's your calculations and your data it's uh, very very uh, exciting to to actually see if if you have them some here or you are going to open them because it's uh, uh, and uh, what what I would do like is how you actually transfer that uh, from uh, from the point of uh, uh, to to tell and uh, to uh, to promote your services to other companies as well because for them it's it's a big thing right now right so to make uh, to become uh, more sustainable in all uh, in all areas and how their uh, how their contractors work how their consultants work it's also important for them as well mm. what it what it is and um I think for both sustainability and di- and diversity and inclusion, um, the the sort of the, the the changes that we've had to put in place over the last two years are really quite significant for both of those. And before before we were forced to do that, or you know, in terms of um, the sort of the mainstream activities, before people were forced to work in that virtual environment, we had a lot of resistance from some of the the training bodies, for example. We had lots of resistance because they felt that um, they could no longer control their their model for delivery of training across the world. And they they really wanted to protect different geographies, for example. So there was a lot of resistance there. And and we, for for quite a few years before that, we we had a number of of, um, uh, not so much conflicts, but some fairly robust conversations with with people where we had to say but look for this particular client we we we've saved tons of co2 we've saved hundreds of thousands of air miles because of providing virtual training so you translate that into all of those organizations that used to have people traveling many miles to go to training, then the the potential impact globally is is enormous. And I, and I think that we that we have seen that. 
Now, clearly, there's still some resistance to that becoming mainstream. But many of our customers now are saying, well, we've now made the business decision that we're going to close that head office in London and we're going to have some satellite offices around the UK, for example. And people can come to those when they need to, but our general working practices will be will be remote. So then you say, right, okay, what's the impact from a diversity inclusion perspective? Well, we still need to be a little bit careful because we can't assume that everybody has the same access to the same resources. So, so for me, you know, I'm privileged in in you know having a, a nice place to live with the resources. I can be isolated and I can I get on with the work. But for some people, especially perhaps people starting out in their career, you have to be you have to be um, sensitive to the fact they may not they may not have those resources. Or for other people, they may just be in a situation where actually go, going to work is their salvation. You know, it gets them potentially, let's say if someone was in a, an abusive relationship, you know, that getting away from that, that environment. So you still have to put people right at the centre and not treat everybody as if they are just the same. However, you look at it, look at it from a positive perspective. Um, the the great thing about virtual training is that you can make it more accessible to people. So they're not, you know, the people perhaps who have disabilities that prevent them from traveling, you know, so that, that was the traditional way of, of delivering services, but immediately you can provide training to people and, and uh, career development to people in through that virtual world. And it's, and it, and it starts to level things up a little bit and starts to bring some, equity into into delivery um but at the same time you still just have to challenge yourself just to make sure that the features that you use to deliver training are not just very sort of narrow thinking and assume everybody has the the same ability to absorb training through that particular medium so uh, that's what I find interesting is thinking about it from a people perspective. Because if you can, if you can do that, then I think that's where you start to lead to lead to, to growth for your organisation because you do the right thing for people. That's perfect. Uh, but uh, you you also mentioned that this divide that uh, that we made we found two most important points for your organisation: uh, sustainability and diversity and inclusion. And you also mentioned that it so uh, you started with a conversation. You started there uh, some research on how 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 sustainable your organization are and how to uh, how to to reach reach better sustainability in the terms. Uh, but is there any way uh, that uh, so you can say, for example, in numbers or at least at feelings that it helps uh, helps your organization to grow? Because I know that. You open the office in the US, and it's uh, it's a big thing because uh, it's quite far from 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 Great Britain. Uh, it so already brings additional challenges. So, is there anything that we talked right now, the sustainability, uh, diversity, or anything else that helps you to grow uh, your company, your training company, to grow? Um, I think the the the, the thing about um, 
geography, uh, you know, you mentioned sort of the US, but also, as I mentioned earlier, that um, we've been providing training to some clients across many time zones, right, you know, from from West Coast US all the way across to Europe and out to Asia Pacific. And um, mm -hmm. one, uh, one of the things sort of most recently is, yes, you mentioned being able to set up our US office and we and collaboration is, is, is great with our US colleagues. Uh, but also it's now giving us the opportunity to, to get trainers aligned in that Asia Pacific region. Um, which is great for us because we were delivering those training services out of the UK. And clearly in that time zone, that makes that quite difficult for people having to work effectively through the UK. Yeah, exactly. Through the, through the, through the night, actually, in, in the UK. So, so I think for us, that's quite exciting because it, it does genuinely turn us into a, into a global organisation. Um, it's not that we weren't before, but it just makes it so much more tangible now. Oh, yeah, I, I know what uh, how hard it's uh, to deal with for people uh, who are not sure, uh, who are actually like, uh, going to West uh, or going to East uh, from from my perspective. So in Australia, Australia, Japan, Indonesia, uh, because uh, So when I, I even I for me I'm a morning person and when I get up it's uh, that's already end of the day for them and it's quite challenging uh, to to do anything uh, for example or having uh, having a very uh, very detailed and like complex conversation at the end of my day when they just uh, get up and in this case actually virtual uh, like all lockdowns help a bit because. Right now, everyone at home, <laughs> and it's it's not a big deal for them to have a call like at seven in the morning. But yeah, running a training, <laughs> being based in the UK for someone in Asia, yeah, it's middle of the night. It's it's really challenging. And uh, yeah, in this particular uh, aspect, having someone inside your company, and because right now companies are in, indeed becoming more and more global thanks to virtual communication and everything mm -hmm. like asynchronous things it's uh it makes sense yeah absolutely and i mean the, it the also sorry the um the thing that we've that we've always um tried to do is to, is to build our build our team build our internal team so that we have a a common a common way of, um an aligned way of delivering excellent services to our clients. And the way that we've always felt we could do that is by building up our permanent permanent team. Um, so we're still committed to that. Um, but if you, if you go back to one of the things you just said about being a morning person, for example, you know, not everybody is the morning. You know? Some people really don't wake up until, until lunchtime. But... But but put it into the context of different people having, let's say, childcare issues. Yeah. So so some people maybe have chunks of time out of the day, but quite happily to start work early or work in, into the evening. From a diversity perspective, that's fantastic. You know, we can we can start to accommodate those sorts of things. You know, and it might not necessarily suit too many people to work through the night. But I was just looking at some feedback that. Um, for one of our Asia Pacific courses that was run recently, looking at the feedback from, from our client's own internal survey. Um, 
feedback was excellent. You know, it was, you know, strongly agreed to pretty much everything in terms of uh, the quality of delivery. So I know that we do it well by just committing to that, um, those client outcomes. Yeah, and uh, in this perspective, it also means that diversity is extremely uh, is extremely important factor uh, and uh, inclusion, diversity inclusion, because right now you don't work only with people uh, from uh, e- even if uh, even if UK or uh, is quite a diverse country, right? So we're still talking about very uh, specific, uh, not specific. Yeah, it's not correct word, but uh, very different, uh, different culture when we uh, with uh, clients based in Asia, uh, based uh, based in other countries, and it means that colleagues that you talk, uh, you work with, they have this different perspective, uh, different understanding of like um, different priorities after all, right? And this is uh, the inclusion itself, the diversity, the different approach we, uh, you should as a global uh, global company to use. Well, I think that's a really good point is um, that, uh, you know, once, once you start working outside of your sort of home territory, um, even even subtleties, you know, for working across European countries, for example, the subtleties can be quite different. And um, but when you when you go further than that, you, you know, you, you do have to just be very sensitive to um, the cultural differences, you know, and the, the expectations of people, you know, so even. Um, things like um, the the resistance or probably being inhibited from having cameras on in virtual events in some in some countries you know so it's just not you know not not the cultural thing to do um, so you know I think it, I think it takes a lot really for for individuals um, to to be able to work across multiple time zones and then if you imagine, Let's say you're working in Asia Pacific time zone. Just the diversity um, across that. So you know, people from Australia, India, Philippines. You know, there's immediately there's there's a lot of diversity there. So you don't you you, you treat individuals with respect. Yeah, that's uh, that's the correct point. And uh, at least, uh, and thank you. Uh, for for actually opening enough for me because uh, uh, in uh, in the beginning I was uh, a bit struggling uh, to understand so how how the diversity and inclusion actually helps a company of smaller smaller size to grow and right now I have this clear <laughs> clear understanding how how important these factors are and so at least for me it was I opening conversation <laughs> yeah good good and. And Andrew, and talking about uh, talking about um, other companies, right? So you have your own experience. Uh, who uh, you have your own experience growing the company and uh, uh, improving improving the services for clients in uh, uh, outside markets. And let's let's talk about other companies. Small. Uh, so if if I a training company and I decide to uh, want to grow uh, into some particular market. So what uh, what would be your advice uh, for this company? So where should they start? The um, So I think the, the, the way that we've done it um, is that you, you think about sort of that incremental growth. 
and I, I think it's I think it's true of, of what's whatever sort of company or service you provide. But thinking about in, incremental growth, um, and by that I mean once you're established and you've got those core services, you know, really cherish the things that clients value. Really, really cherish those things, and then incrementally try to extend them out in different in different directions. So by that, I mean, rather than saying, right, we've, we've delivered, let's say, this, um, this set of training courses in the UK, right, now let's immediately go to Asia Pacific. Yeah, and let's deliver them there. Well, that, that's not an incremental change. But how might, how might you get there? You know, the, the way that, that we did that was working with a global client, uh, starting in Europe, originally traveling between a number of European cities, then taking that to a virtual environment, then extending that to East Coast US, then extending that across time zones in the US, and then extending that to, to Asia Pacific. So that, that incremental approach, protecting all the time, protecting the value that you're delivering, whether it's a particular training um, set or whether it's a particular client or a particular territory. You know, and, and never forget really the, the value that you've got um, at the core of the business. Or if it's um, if it's about the, the product and service, I'd say that, like for, for example, what 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 we originally had, we developed a um, a set of training courses that were largely originally for the BBC. So we we developed those. Um, those went down very well. They're own, our own in, internal courses. And as we spoke to that particular client, we developed further sure. ones. Translate that, into which language? That we, we developed further ones that uh, were based on that, that core. Um, and then we started to introduce certified training. So that was another angle. And then over time, sure. you sort of... Translate you, into which language? You build this incremental approach always inspecting and adapting the services or the, the products that you deliver. Mm, that's, that's perfect. So uh, we don't, we don't, we don't move, uh, we, we don't increase, uh, 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 we don't, we don't increase enormously uh, uh, right away. We just, yeah, making small steps, small increments, uh, uh, using more or less agile approach. Exactly. I mean, increment at least increment. Yeah, at least at least at least incremental approach. Yeah. So exactly. I wouldn't be uh, beaten <laughs> by uh, agile forks uh, saying that incremental yeah. is the same as agile. But again, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is really good advice. Uh, uh, I, I think. Uh, um, this uh, this approach and how, how to do how to deal with that is uh, uh, something that uh, many companies can copy. So thank you, thank you very much. Uh, I mean, we are talking right now. It's like almost for thirty minutes. Uh, I think it's uh, it would be a good place to wrap up. And uh, uh, I have nothing to cover anymore. Uh, so thank you, thank you very much for your time, Andrew. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's been nice to talk to you. I, I feel like we could be talking all day. So uh, uh, thanks for concluding it. Thanks for concluding it there. Thank you, Andrew. This is it for today. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. 
As usual, if you like this episode, please go to the platform of your choice and rate us. It's really motivating for my team and me. Hope to see you next time. Stay tuned.